Most of you are eager to see the end of this year. This is the last Sunday, so here we go. Um, the message this morning is both a Christmas message and it has a whole lot to do with going into a new year and what our whole view is toward it. And we need some help in that after this year that we are currently in, do we not? This is the year that we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ and a new year while still dealing with COVID. And most in our society still have some understanding or recollection that Christ is the underlying reason for the season. But in the attempt to suppress the truth, as Romans 1 verse 18 explains about what all unbelievers are prone to do, those people who are opposed to any religious significance being acknowledged at this time of the year should find themselves conflicted, although many aren't. On the one hand, they think the biblical story of a Savior being born to a virgin is completely ridiculous, even though um, many won't admit that out loud. But on the other hand, as Romans 1 also says, they are still plagued by a God-given conscience that knows deep down in the heart that God exists and is said to have come into the world to save sinners. So what to do? Well, many people try not to deal with the need for a Savior idea and its accompanying virgin birth miracle by only zeroing in on the culture's idea of the Christmas spirit and all the nostalgia that goes with it. And what is that Christmas spirit? If you had to define it, how would you do that? Well, really, it can mean almost anything to most people. But it usually evokes a whole lot of warm feelings towards people and includes various amounts of the giving and partaking of large quantities of food and drink. Put all that together, and it somehow is the Christmas, quote, spirit, unquote. And as the, as the 21st century began, Hallmark actually revealed that way over 80% of their Christmas cards were traditional and nostalgic, recalling memories in their words and pictures that most people had never even had. I mean, really, we lived in the mountains and snow for five years, and I never once went to town to church behind a horse riding in a sleigh. And yet that's one of the most famous pictures. It evokes certain warm feelings of togetherness and, wow, I wish it was like this all the time, et cetera, et cetera. But that's really the point. Most people want to genuinely experience and feel those things, and they find themselves once again caught up, even during COVID, in figuring out new ways to create the frenzied mayhem, it's kind of the way I like to express it, of the season they're used to. 
It's amazing to me, even with the shutdowns and restrictions and the distancing and slowing down, et cetera, how most people still find multitudes of ways to ignore the truth of why Jesus Christ, the Savior, needed to or had to come to earth in the form of a man. It takes a lot of creativity to purposefully ignore the real story of Christmas. And yet most people are really good at it. Especially when traveling is hindered and restaurants and favorite stores are hard to get to and football games are canceled and visiting friends and family literally takes a, a strategic FaceTime meeting or Zoom meeting to arrange. There's all this extra time that we found that we have. And instead of addressing the question of what Christmas is really all about, what happens? Do they? No, they try even harder to ignore it. If all this desire to figure out how to still scurry about has seemed to feed even more your unrealistic expectations about how everything should be this time of year, and you see a, a dissonance or a discord in your soul, and you notice that your heart is even becoming a little bitter because what you expected and hoped for and think you deserve just never quite happened again, then you need to carefully deal with it before the Lord and His Word. And we can do that if we know Him. Nobody else can. Today, I hope we can do that by the passage, in the passage that we'll be looking at. If you know that you set out in your approach to the holidays trying to keep your focus on the truth of God's Word, God's Word, but now, here after Christmas, you have once again gotten swept up in the craziness of everything going on this year that just seems so wrong. And boy, do we have a long list this year. And so you've lost that focus. Then let's dive into a short passage this morning that gets our eyes looking at what God has done to quiet our hearts with the peace that passes all understanding. If you are able, please stand as I read Hebrews chapter 10. Yes, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 4 through 7. Although we might just drift through the whole chapter if we get a chance. Hebrews 10, beginning at verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. 
these verses get our eyes back where they belong, on Jesus. These verses tell us why Jesus had to come in the flesh, born as a baby. So let's consider three things from this passage as they relate to the incarnation. The first thing is that Jesus came in the flesh to do what the blood of bulls and goats could not do. He was the substitute and fulfillment of all to which they pointed. In verses 4, in the first part of 5, and verse 6, we read this, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. The Old Testament sacrifices brought no pleasure to God if they were not accompanied by a resolve for obedience from the heart. I don't know if you noticed how many times that was said in Psalm 51. In other words, if the sacrifices did not produce obedience from the heart, they were of no avail. This does not mean the law's Old Testament sacrifices were of no value at all. Hebrews 9 makes this clear, as do many other texts. We don't have time to go there today. No matter how many times the sacrifices were done, they were always performed by people who could not and would not perfectly obey God. This recognition by all who sacrificed according to the Old Testament law should have made them all realize that a greater perfect sacrifice was needed and that their present sacrificial system only pictured what was necessary and what God promised would come. And that's why John the Baptist said what he did when he saw Jesus coming toward him. What did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sin of the world. John the Baptist's calling and purpose was to prepare the way for the Messiah. And this declaration is an early, clear declaration of Jesus' person and work. In other words, Jesus' perfect obedience enabled him to offer a sacrifice that leads his people to obey God from their hearts, which is God's desire. So then, before the incarnation, the faith of those offering sacrifices had to be in their anticipation of the one to whom the sacrifice is pointed. And now, after Jesus' resurrection, our faith has to be in the completed work of the incarnate God-man, Jesus the Christ, who came to this earth, as we all do, by being born in the flesh. Now, verses 5 through 7 of Hebrews 10 is a quote of Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. And it's applied messianically to Jesus Christ, the anointed, the Messiah. 
Notice that in Hebrews 10, verse 5, it is Christ speaking to God the Father about his mission. When Christ came into the world, he said, which is why this is such a remarkable picture of the purpose of the incarnation. The gospel message is summed up here in three short verses. I know that's hard to believe. If you've read the whole book of Hebrews, it just seems like it's never going to end and it's something new almost every paragraph. But really, it's in three short verses right here. So first, we've seen the statements in verse 4, 5, and 6, which tell us that Jesus came in the flesh to do what the blood of bulls and goats could not do. He was the substance and fulfillment of all to which they pointed. And second thing we see in this passage is that Christ came into this world to do the will of God as a man is supposed to do. So it was necessary that he take on a human body. We see that in verse 5, the second part, and the first part of verse 7. But a body have you prepared for me? Then I said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God. So one thing we can get from this that's pretty important, especially in our day, really all down through history, our bodies were intended for the will of God, and our pleasure is to do his will. Christ is our substitute in that he has come in human flesh to do what we're mandated to do as the image bearer of God. Christ has borne the penalty of our sins, but he has also performed in the flesh all that God has required of us. Let me say that again. He's also performed in the flesh all that God has required of us. It's because his obedience is credited to us that we can now yield our body as an instrument of righteousness. It's a lot to think about with a new year coming. We'll get to that in a little bit. Romans 12, verses 1. Listen to this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to do what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And you know what? It all started when he, Jesus, was born in Bethlehem. So can you imagine the utter thrill of those shepherds as they heard the angels' words with the glory of the Lord shining around them? We talked about this last week. We talked about it on Christmas Eve right here. From Luke 2, verses 10 through 14, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace toward those on whom God's sovereign pleasure rests. So is it any wonder that the shepherds went with haste to find this baby? Nobody in that group said, great, we get the night off, I'm going home. They all tore off in the night to find this baby. And is it any wonder that after they'd seen the baby Jesus, and one part that we kind of don't emphasize enough, that they told Mary and Joseph what all they just heard from the angel and the heavenly host. That they returned then glorifying and praising God? The incarnation not only means that animal sacrifices have ceased, but also that we can now offer the sacrifice of praise because our bodies are included in the redemptive work of Christ. We have the blessed hope of resurrection bodies that will be renewed and conformed to the likeness of Christ our Savior. If all you young people out there that are suffering from physical ailments when you think you shouldn't be because you're under a certain age, guess what? This is God's way of letting you know your hope. Because a lot of us don't even think about this. It's not even important that we're going to have a resurrection body until we finally realize that the one we have is really falling apart. But you don't have to wait to your old and falling apart, really, in order to get this hope. Because each of us needs it right now, no matter where you are and how old you are. So, really, the question, I don't know if we can answer this honestly, but can we grasp what those shepherds were grasping? The realization that God had sent the Savior but that right then, that Savior was a newborn baby. What do you think they were talking about on the way back? Well, probably just being blown away by what they'd seen and heard. But when did that wonder, that pondering start? When is he going to be able to actually do what's necessary to save us? And I wonder what that is. Will I still be around when he's grown? A lot of conversations there, folks. Think about that. The Savior would grow up. The Messiah was finally there. So how filled with praise they were at this news. And who would have thought that they would be the ones whom God told that his Messiah was just born. Shepherds, ordinary people. Can we think about this enough in such a way that this event evokes the same response in us? Can we glorify and praise God? For those of you who are here Thursday night, 
You sure sang like it. Everybody had on a mask. That was beautiful and it was loud. 79 people in here that night. Yes, we can glorify and praise God. And Matthew, in his account, wrote, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Most of the attention rightly is on Mary, who had the biggest questions, obviously. What about Joseph? He stepped right in, trusted God, no matter how unbelievable it sounded. Would you have loved to hear their conversations? All of you, all of us who are trying to work out every kind of crazy thing in our lives together with our spouse. There's a reason why all those conversations aren't recorded in the Word of God. But it's a wonderful thing to think about. It's a hopeful thing to think about. So Jesus came in the flesh to do what the blood of bulls and goats could not do. He was the substance and fulfillment of all to which they pointed. And second, Christ came into the world to do the will of God as a man is supposed to do. So it was necessary that he take on a human body. And third, the person and work of Christ are the primary focus of Scripture. Then I said, Behold, I've come, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. If you're starting a read through the Bible in a year again, and you've never made it past February, because you know what comes up February. All those laws. What does that all mean? Folks, we need to approach, if you're going to do that, which is great, you need to do it with this in mind. You need to look for Jesus, the coming Messiah, in everything you read in the Old Testament, because it all points to the, either the necessity that we need a Savior or how the Savior is actually going to save. Then all of a sudden, you might make it. 
Isn't this what the resurrected Christ revealed to the two men on the road to Emmaus? I remember the first time I heard that as a kid. And it just blew me away. I thought, well, what, what, why, why can't we hear what they talked about? Again, all we need to know is what Luke recorded, especially he said, in beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What are you thinking? I would have pulled out my iPhone and recorded it all. I don't know if your iPhone could handle that many hours on that road. There was a reason why those guys said this in Luke 24, 32. Did not our hearts burn within us that he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? The obvious question there, and this is not to put you on a guilt trip, do our hearts burn within us as we open scriptures, Old and New Testaments, and learn to see Christ throughout it all? This is not boring. Do not let your children tell you that. Because they'll spend, we will spend eternity seeing how the scriptures pointed to Christ. All of them. And we get to try to figure that out while we're here. But here's some examples. Christ is the seed of the woman that will bruise the head of the serpent in Genesis 3.15. He's the one that ascends to the hill of the Lord in Psalm 24. He's the chosen one of the Lord. He is the son of David and the Lord of David. Remember how David said that? And he was like, what? Do you remember the first time you read that? He's both the son of David and the Lord of David. He's the sacrifice that spared Isaac. After my aorta nearly blew up in 08, I told y'all when I got back several times about a nurse that I had. Actually, she was more the clean up, do the hard stuff nurse. Uh, in a conversation we had about this text, because she knew him. But listen to Genesis 22, verses 7 through 8, and then verse 13. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Because Jesus is the sacrifice that spared Isaac. He said, behold, the fire and the wood I see, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went together. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering Instead of his son. Jesus is all 
over the place. Sometimes it's more apparent than others. It was on him that the Spirit was fully given, and he distributes gifts to his people. The crucifixion, the resurrection, and the second coming are all the result of the fact that Christ assumed the body that was prepared for him. And in that body, he did the will of God. Through his obedience, we have salvation. And I don't know if you've ever praised God for that. You know, we, we skip a lot of stuff because there is a lot of stuff. Have you praised God that Christ was obedient so that we could have salvation, that he could be the sacrifice. That's why he came. A lot of you know who Charles Simeon was. He lived from 1759 to 1836. Pastor of Trinity Church in Cambridge for 50 years. <clears throat> so how young was he when he started? Just think about that. And he wrote this. By this then, my brethren, you may judge whether you are Christians in deed and in truth or such in name only. For a nominal Christian is content with proving the way of salvation by a crucified Redeemer. But the true Christian loves it, the way of salvation the way of salvation in Christ and delights in it and glories in it and shudders at the very thought of glorying in anything else. The answer for the dissonant soul drowning in the bitterness of what somebody has called fleeting and unfulfilled hopes and expectations, usually every new year, is only found in the person and work of Jesus the Christ. That's the answer for the dissonant soul. We go, we know that. I answered that way in Sunday school. Okay, but the question is, do you really know it? We must learn to look to him and only to him. I've said these things to you. Jesus said that in me, you may have peace. What's not included in that verse right there? Not in your savings account, not in the wall around your house, not in, you just fill in the blanks. That's not where your peace comes from, the real peace with God. And then Jesus he didn't lure us into a life as his own possession by hiding what was getting ready to happen. Because what does he say next? In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world, which is why it's only in him that we can have peace. So, here we go. 21 is almost here. Friday? 
Can we take heart as we enter 21 or are we going to keep griping? The issues of 2020 are not going to just disappear with the new year. Have you noticed how our Creator God has ordered His universe to operate on many different levels of cycles and seasons? You think there's a reason for that? Just think about all these cycles and seasons. They're too long to even list in any book. Days with varying degrees of lights and darkness, depending on where you are in the world that He created. Weeks with worshiping together singled out for one particular day. Months that reflect cycles in the sky and the earth. With varying growing seasons and different weather patterns. Years that combine most of the cycles and seasons. How many years between Jupiter and Saturn Almost showing up together, even though they're millions and millions of miles apart. How much diversity is there? How many geese you see flying around over us this year compared to every other year? Or the way the grass grows? Or the way foxes show up in Amarillo? Where are they during the daytime? Cycles of things happening. Seasons of things happening. And all of these cycles and seasons are meant to display the power, glory, creativity, and wonder of God. And to make us enjoy it and wonder and be able to look forward to and realize and study. And you know what's funny is that we think we know so much. And we think we know how to spend our time. Do you realize that the people that actually figured out stuff that happens above us? the way the, the sky seems to move and the things that show up every once in a while and the way the moon is lit up at certain regular intervals. People didn't have anything else to do back there. And they looked around at night in the sky you could actually see because it wasn't flooded with neon from every direction. Those guys are the ones that figured this stuff out, the patterns. So, are we paying attention? After all, God tells us that every man is accountable to him because they know there's a God just by looking at his creation. Even if they won't admit it. And therefore, they are accountable. Because if you know there are God, you know there's a God, then you know that that's the reason you're here. And you need to Worship him. And our world will not. Are we learning to approach each new year with the idea that we belong to Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, and us? You know, there's a couple of questions that you can use to kind of figure that out, maybe to redirect yourself. Our self-image and our identity and our physical condition are not determined by a new plan or routine or resolution. 
All that may help, but that's not the bottom line. God has made cycles within cycles within other cycles and seasons. And you know what he says in Lamentations? His mercies are new every morning. That's my favorite cycle. <laughs> Do we believe that? Do we start off the day going, God, you supplied me today with your mercy and grace so I know I can face it. So the days that you don't hop out of bed ready to go and take on the world, you can still step out and trust. So first, Jesus came in the flesh to do what the blood of bulls and goats could not do. He was the substance and fulfillment of all to which they pointed. Second, he came into the world to do the will of God as a man is supposed to do. So it was necessary that he take on a human body. And third, the person and work of Christ are the primary focus of Scripture. And again, we've been seeing this in 2 Corinthians for weeks. We must learn first to seek, know, and rest in the peace that only comes in Christ. That's really the goal of this life. Because just when you think you learn it, then you're all of a sudden going, I don't have any peace at all. And usually you go, why not? Because I want something more than fill in the blank. And it's not coming. Because only by knowing and resting in the peace that comes only in Christ can our hearts truly be encouraged and so you're able to live in light of the gospel of Christ. That's what we need to be encouraging one another in. As believers, when we meet together, when we sing, when we pray together, when we hear the word taught or preached. Only then do you recognize how much you need his mercy, true? Because we just don't stay in this state as long as we want to. Is that a good way to say it? 2020, let's be honest, has been a wake-up call for all of us to truly see where our treasures really are. And it didn't take long for that to show up, did it? What you treasured has been exposed in new ways this last year. And it's not going to stop just like that. Now, you have two responses. You can either thank God for showing you where your heart has gone other places besides Him, or you can buckle down again and just go after it and just keep Him, you think, over here. And we have, a, we have a choice there. Really, every day and every part of every day. But the big question is still there. Thank the Lord 
that his mercies are new every morning. Thank the Lord. It's how patient he is with us. Thank the Lord that our identity is in the one who perfectly obeyed him, whose record is now ours. Thank the Lord that we can run to the cross. And when we say, here I am again, Lord, and we confess and repent and ask for forgiveness, we know that his blood has covered it all. And every time we do that, it humbles us more. And it leads us to a more consistent view and heart attitude. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing this. I could, though I practiced. But there's a reason why some hymns are sung more often than others. And one of the shortest ones is sung a whole bunch. And we've done it some around here. I grew up where I didn't even have to think about it except the last few years where I'm going, is that the first thing you say? Or the... How about praise God from whom all blessings flow? Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Does that sum it up? Yeah, it's short. I've learned that the older I get, the more I need the same words as the kids. Because it does cover everything. Let's close in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we <clears throat> admit that so many times this past year, our hearts have become bitter. We've been angry because things didn't go the way we wanted or the way they usually go as much as we wanted them to. We know people that have suffered greatly. We know people who have died. We understand that you use even these things to bring our attention back to where it should be upon you and your grace to us. And we should know as your children that this life is preparation for a future life. But God, we admit if we don't look forward to the future life, then, then we're even more upset with how this life goes now and we need to learn to recognize what our purpose is here and how much you've given us to be blessed in in this life and to wonder at and to learn from and to enjoy but we also know it won't completely be smooth sailing there will be tribulation and Lord, right here and now, we want to talk to you as individuals and as a body of your church that we really do want to be used by you in this new year in even more ways than in this past year. And we know what that means. 
but it's up to you how you choose to use us. You know how you made us and you know the ways that we need to grow and you know how you can use us to reflect the light on someone's life that you want to redeem. And we pray that you would work that in power, that you would bring revival to this land. We know there's no other hope. We just know from history that any nation that goes through the cycle that we're going through just doesn't recover. The more sin gets in control of a vast amount of people, it's just not going to be good. And yet we also know that in those times is when you bring revival to places that just look like they're completely lost. And we know that many people assume that we can hold on and we may in some ways for a long time. But, oh, Lord, we pray that the real meaning of this life would be able to be communicated in ways that weren't before when everybody seemed to take it for granted. Jesus is the only way of salvation. And Lord, we pray that you give us courage like Mary and Joseph faced with tribulation. Oh my goodness. And they embraced your plan for them. And we pray that we could embrace whatever you have for us. In whatever stage of life we're in, that we could trust you with one another, with the children here, with our parents or grandparents, with our siblings, with our friends and neighbors, with the people we work with that we've come to care for. We just pray that you would work in our hearts where we could reflect you and we know we can't reflect you if our hearts aren't yours. Thank you that we can run to the cross. Thank you that we can follow a Savior who in his humility of becoming a man displayed so much power in the midst of his gentleness and his love that he was willing to do what was necessary to save us and we should also learn to embrace that attitude. Thank you that you're patient with us, that you teach us these things over time, usually, and that we have a group of people that can learn it together, keep learning it together, and grow together as we've seen you do in our past. We do praise you that you loved enough to send your son and that we won't just say those words flippantly we thank you that a new year is approaching and we pray that your name would be lifted up in ways that we've never been able to before because we just haven't trusted you as much oh god we thank you for jesus and it's in his name we pray every minute amen Please stand. Our benediction is more like a encouragement thrown out there. So please catch this. Take heart that true peace is only in Christ. And 
let's remember this. He has, past tense, already overcome the world. Amen. You're dismissed.